In the future, this maneuver will be called pulling a drake. Hey, and welcome to the Meet Your Heroes podcast. My name is Elliot. And I'm Audrey. And this is the podcast where we ignore the sound, conventional wisdom, and get to know what blokes our heroes really were. Is that how we describe them? Blokes? Um, we could say jolly fellows. We could say any number of things for sure, for sure. Yes. <laughs> That's we could, what we do. We could say wankers. They were wankers mostly. Sure. Yeah. Again, we could say any number of things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I feel like wankers is a good one. I might stick with that. That's good. Okay. Yeah. Make that your thing. Like, dig in. Even when you get criticism, like... Dig in. Just dig in. Be neck identity. Deep, neck deep in wankers. <laughs> neck <laughs> deep in wankers. Like, just, you know, never let go of the wankers. I've never let go of the wankers. On that note... <laughs> <laughs> hey, welcome back. Good welcome to see you back. in the studio again. Yeah. Um, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. I've been talking to some of our fans. Have you? Yeah. Feedback this week? The people want more. Oh, they want more dot, dot, dot. Oh, didn't specify. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just extra, extra. Yes. Okay, great. Love it. I can do that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, you've spoken, and we are going to eventually figure out what it meant. This one's for you, fan. Yeah, let's do this. Our hero, just from the jump... I want to recognize might make a certain subset of people pretty upset. This hero uh, has generally not lived in the gray area of, oh, we knew he was kind of rough. Uh, this person has lived in sort of the sort of Mother Teresa type bubble where most people think he was all good. Oh, Okay. So uh, then, uh, which hero are we getting to meet this week? Yes. So this week, we are meeting the often quoted peace activist, super celebrity, that is John Lennon. Oh, oh, yes. I I imagine this is going to be a good one. Uh, 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 nope. That's, uh, that's a deep cut <laughs> for the... Real John Lennon fans out there. That, that's the one they literally play at New Year's Eve every single year on television when the ball drops. That's a in-your-face <laughs> for all of the non-John Lennon fans out there. <laughs> it's a, it's a top-of-the-list single. Yeah. Anyway, yes. Uh, okay, so John Lennon. John Lennon. What do you know about this guy? Uh, he's a Beatle. So John Lennon is uh, He's a Beatle. He's like the hip- hippiest Beatle, really. Ooh. I guess. Okay. Get the round glasses. You know, there's a competition for the hippiest beetle. Mm, okay. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Especially like at the end. Okay. So I don't know a ton about the Beatles, but I I feel like I know, uh, generally, like, big like the first big British invasion super pop stars in the '60s. Uh, they came over, had like these massive hits, like started like "Love Me Do" and "Help," and and then like they became like real pioneers in pop music because after that once they were famous they really started doing some cool stuff uh and then were 
the progenitors really of um, like pop music as we know it. Like Sgt. Pepper. Well, okay, so my brother is definitely going to disagree with me about that because he's going to say the Beach Boys really deserve the credit here, but I will fight that fight. Fair enough. Sgt. Pepper uh, was like this big breakthrough album. Like did a whole bunch of stuff that was like unheard of, like groundbreaking. And then after that, and a couple albums later, John Lennon and Yoko Ono got together and people say that Mm -hmm. she like kind of broke up the Beatles. They uh, do say that. And then he hung out with her, did like some hippie PC stuff and then um, got assassinated. So that's the timeline. That is definitely the timeline. Um, You're not wrong. You hit all the high points. Okay. There are many, many low points that have been left out of the sort of like canonized version of the John Lennon narrative. Mm. It's hard to talk poorly of someone who was assassinated. Let's just name that up front. I mean, Caesar, I think he's a shithead. So <laughs> let's just start there. I don't I don't see the problem personally. Sure. Yes. Um, Abraham Lincoln, too tall. Too tall, too skinny, too depressed. <laughs> too secretly gay. Right. Oh, is that real? <laughs> Did you not know about this? Listen. Spoilers for the Abraham Lincoln episode, people. Oh, yikes. There we go. Um, M- many historians would agree that he was, at very minimum, closeted bisexual, uh, had a at least a very important long-term male relationship in his life. So I, too, have at one point in my life been a closeted bisexual where I also wanted to be shot in the head for a very long time. <laughs> Spoiler for the uh, Audrey Lawson Sanchez episode of this oh, podcast. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, all right. So John Lennon, also potentially a closeted bisexual. That is, uh, I'm not going to touch on that too sure. much. I didn't do a ton of research. Um that's sort of the more scandalous, like, ooh, was he or wasn't he uh, sort of narrative about him. I'm going to talk about the things that we definitely know for sure he did. Okay. So let's go back to the beginning. All right. Uh, born October 9th, 1940. Okay. Makes him a Libra. I'm sure you were just, like, super curious. Okay. This is not the first uh, astrology moment. That we've had? Oh, it's definitely not the first, and it absolutely will not be the last. <laughs> okay, so I feel... Okay, uh, note to self, insert the uh, new Audrey's Astrology Hour uh, segment theme music. There we go, yes. So um, I did Google the expected personality type of someone who was born on October 9th. You want to hear it? Oh, yeah. I can't wait for this to be totally not bullshit. Right, right. Yeah. So, first of all, it's not. How dare you? Just wait to hear how accurate this is. We'll visit this at the end, and you tell me it's not accurate. If this isn't accurate, I'm going to have to stop making astrology the basis of my stock portfolio. That would be a shame. <laughs> that wouldn't be a shame. Be a shame. <laughs> I had to give up on that strategy. Okay, let's hear it. What what is this? What what do the stars say about uh, somebody born? What well, sorry? What do the stars say about everybody born on October 9th, <laughs> nineteen forty? <laughs> everybody born on October 9th, according to sunsigns.org. dot uh, 
Uh, has oh, well, the, why, wait, why didn't you say so? <laughs> there, there I'm, sorry for questioning. I'm sorry it's for legitimate. questioning. There's a website. Why didn't you just lead with sun signs? Okay, please continue. So this .org website says that someone born on October 9th has the qualities of being a natural peacemaker. That fits, right? Like his image is that of uh, this sort of peace seeker, peacemaker, um, yeah, okay. That's what everybody knows him for. But also, they say this person is compassionate. However, they can be aggressive and they're creative and open minded, but typically very moody, overbearing, and forceful. And if you are an English teacher, this is what you would call foreshadowing. Dun, dun, dun. Well, so let's let's see then. All right. So back to facts. <laughs> <laughs> he was born in 1940, like I said, mm-hmm. in Liverpool. He was born uh, John Winston Lennon. So Win- he, Winston. Winston. So he was named after his grandfather and Winston Churchill, respectively. Winston Churchill. Wow. Uh, what a poor choice for a namesake. Yeah, strike one. Yeah. Uh, especially if you don't want your child to be like a bloodthirsty warmonger. It, yeah, if you aren't familiar with the uh, violent fascist sympathizing D bag, Winston Churchill was, may I recommend to you a podcast? Yeah, a few episodes back. Yeah, go look for it in the archives. Check it out. Share it with your friends. Shameless plug. There we go. Um, but anyway, so name their kid Winston John Winston Lennon. Uh, he was born to an Irish seaman, mm-hmm. S-E-A-M-A-N. Got it. Just for clarification. <laughs> just for... The seaman seaman produced John Winston Lennon. John Winston Lennon, okay. Uh, his father was actually not even there when he was born, mm. uh, which is, it seems Wait, not like there as in like not in the room? Not physically there. Yeah, out to sea. Oh, like not in the city. Okay. Right. Um... Well, come to find out, seems to like run in the linen blood. Uh, it's not mm. being there when your firstborn son is born. Uh-uh. Yikes. So he wasn't there. Uh, he was in and out of John's life. He apparently at times sent money back, but also at times would just like disappear for months on end. At one point when John was like five or six, he came back. And he said to his his wife, John's mom, Julia, listen, I'm in it to win it. I want to be the man of the house. I'm here to be the father and the breadwinner and okay. let's make a family. So he's stepping up. That's good. Yeah. Uh, she says, go fuck yourself. Mm. I'm pregnant with this other man's child. <laughs> that didn't and well. you've okay. been gone for a real long time. Nobody knew where you were. You could have been dead for all we knew. Get out of our life. Got it. Things get a little contentious from there. Oh, because they weren't already. All right. Yep. Although throughout his life, John had a loving but complex relationship with his mother. She was likely not the best suited to be caring for him as a young child. Mesa, why why was she not well suited to care for him as a young child? So what we know is that Julia had a sister, Mimi, and twice before the age of six... Mimi had called social services on Julia. Yikes, on her own sister. And had John removed from the house. Oh, okay, so that's got to be bad then, yeah. It's probably not ideal. 
So at this point, when uh, his father comes back and says, I would like to be his father, um, John is back with his mother, Julia. So John is living with Julia. His father comes back and his mother says no. And John's father does not take this well. He basically says, I'm going to take John to this other city in England. We'll be back later. Wait, okay. Because they're in Ireland, yeah. Because they're what? They're in Ireland. No, they're in England. His father's an Irish seaman, but they're all back in England. His mother's English. He's in Liverpool. Okay, got it. His father's back in England and is like, I'm going to take John to this other city. Don't worry about it. We'll be back. Julia is like, that sounds suspicious. I'm going to follow them, which was probably good because John's father had intended to kidnap John and take him to New Zealand oh. from this like other third city that they were. He I was mean, taking if, she, if she's following them, it's not like he intended. To, he like kidnapped him at this point. OK, sure. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> things are heated. John's father essentially says to him, to John, I'm back. I want to be your father. Your mother is clearly not fit to be your mother. You need to choose right now as a six-year-old boy who you want to be with, me or your mother. Oh, I see no way this can go wrong. He twice chooses his father. And as his mother walks away each time, John collapses, just absolutely just horrified, cannot oh, believe God. she's walking away, chases her. Because he's his dad's been away for months and months and he wants his like he wants his relationship with dad and his mom's been there, but like not reliable and then oh, Yes. Ooh. So what happens is eventually at some point in this very dynamic and chaotic situation, all parties decide that John will go with Julia so long as her sister Mimi becomes the central guardian of John. Because Mimi and her husband George are, uh, they're childless, but they also are uh, well-established. They have good jobs. They're very stable. They own a home. They have resources. They can take care of John. Okay, so he's growing up. Basically, he's going to have to be with the aunt and uncle in order to, like, have any reasonable semblance of a normal life. Yes. So John has provided this life where people who love him and care for him take take care of him, provide for him, give him everything he needs as the only child of his aunt and uncle. Yeah, and it only came at the expense of having to be kidnapped by his dad and then taken away from his mom several times and then having to be forced to choose between them two. Yeah, okay, so, like, it, it maybe got stable, but, like, did definitely took a little bit of unsettled to get there. Yeah, so when you put it that way, <laughs> there is clearly a lot of trauma in his uh, formative in his formative years. Yeah. Of this time, John would later reflect... A part of me would like to be accepted by all facets of society and not be this loud-mouthed, lunatic, poet-musician, but I cannot be what I am not. I was the one who all the other boys' parents, including Paul's father, would say, keep away from him. The parents instinctively recognized I was a troublemaker, meaning I did not conform and I would influence their children, which I did. I did my best to disrupt every friend's 
home. See, it's because he says it like, oh, like I was a natural troublemaker. But he doesn't say like people thought I was a troublemaker. He says all the other boys' parents didn't want me to be around, which means like he's like parents dislike me, which is like another way of saying like. I have deep-seated issues about parents disliking me. Yes, yes. So biographers, time and time again, point out the fact that he did this as a reaction to not having his bio-parents in his life, despite the fact that even without his bio-parents, probably in spite of the fact that he didn't have them, he had a stable life where every single one of his needs was not only met, but likely catered to. Yeah, I mean, but that's the thing, right? Like, if you get to that point through this incredibly traumatic event that rips away, like, all of your, like, primal relationships, even if, like, your reality is one that actually is, like, in practice pretty stable after that, that is not how you are going to, like, see the world. Like, you you have got your paradigm, like, shaped, and it is going to be one where you're, like, shit's going down. Yes. Don't trust anybody. Yes. And that uh, was a theme that went throughout his life. He essentially like would never forgive his father for abandoning him. And um, even though he considered his mother's decision to uh, let her sister Mimi raise him uh, to be the right one for his like stability and well-being, he really felt like it was still a betrayal. Like he just wanted to be with her. And... Um, this caused a lot of confusion and, uh, confusion about the way that he related to his mother later on. So as his mother came back into his life in his later, uh, tweens, early teens, at one point, many, many years down the road, Mm -hmm. he would reflect that at this time, he harbored these incestuous desires for her. Oh. At one point, he um, accidentally, like, while laying in bed with her, uh, brushed his hand across her breast. Accident- and oh. he thought to himself, and this is recorded, this is from 1979, like a recorded, I don't know, I wouldn't call it a confessional, like, it was meant to be heard. It's an interview? Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure necessarily what it was, but it was part of a documentation of his life. Okay. His hand brushed her breast and he thought to himself, does she want me to do more? He... Oh my. He conceded that she probably would have allowed it. What? So, John Lennon, aspirational motherfucker... I would say, (laughs) and I am not a mental health professional here. Yes. But I would say his, as a mother myself, I could recognize that his primal bond with this essentially primary other had been severed to the extent that he could see her as not his primary other, but still longed, longed for her affection. And as a 14-year-old boy, continuing throughout his teenage years, Uh. that manifested as a sexualization of their relationship. Wow, that is some, like, textbook edible 
issues to work through. Um, today's sponsor. Uh, this episode brought to you by therapy. Please go get some <laughs> if you are in this oh position. Oh my God, please Jesus get it. Christ. Yes. A lot of trauma. If you told me this story just at this point without telling me who it was, I'd be like, I don't know where this dude's going to end up, but it's going to be fucked somehow. It's not going to sure. be great. It's not going to be great. So uh, to add insult to injury, when he's 17, his mother dies very abruptly in a car crash. Ugh. So right when he's starting to build this relationship with her that he never had in his youth, she dies. After this, he, unsurprisingly, sort of like drifts about life. Okay, yeah. He fails all of his university entrance exams. He basically doesn't apply himself at school. The only way that he gets into university is because his aunt Mimi and the headmaster at his school are very well connected. And they get him into this university where he's going to go study art and music. He has this proclivity for music. He's had this band, The Quarrymen, for a few years. He has this talent. They're able to say, like, look, this guy has potential. Let him in. So it's the late 50s, and he's in college. He meets this woman, Cynthia. He uh, er, initially doesn't show any interest in her. But she hears that he really likes Bridget Bardot. So she dyes her hair blonde, poofs it up, and... Wait, we just... Bridget Bardot, I'm assuming it's a blonde then. Yes, yes. Sex symbol of the 50s. Okay. Into the 60s. Um, sort of like bouffant hair, cat eyeliner, just... Uh, She's a movie star, right? Yeah. Okay, va, I think va, I remember boom. that. Yeah, yeah. Got she it. She is... So Cynthia's like, you got a type? I'll be that type. I'll be that type. She sort of like peacocks around John and he asks her out. Cynthia, playing hard to get, says like, well, I guess I could go out with you, but I'm engaged. And he goes, well, I didn't fucking ask you to get married, did I? Do you want to go out with me or not? So oh. that's the beginning of their relationship. Oh, that's a troubling note to start on. Mm-hmm. They date throughout his college years. She Oh, after that, she's like, oh, yeah, this is the guy for sure. Okay, got it. Oh, she signs on. Okay. She signs on. She wasn't really engaged, by the way, right? Oh, I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. <laughs> okay, just making sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. Whomst they, among us. <laughs> whomst among us hasn't pretended to be engaged to catch the eye of who, a clearly abusive man. By the way, did I mention I recently got engaged? <laughs> oh, congratulations. <laughs> um, so at this point, it's the early 60s. They've been dating a while. Mm-hmm. Um, he now has this band and this manager, the Beatles. Oh, they changed their name from the Quarry Men to the Beatles at this point. Yeah, they added a couple members. Things started picking up. They had representation. Mm-hmm. Um, we can talk all about the sort of origin story of the Beatles, but it's less important to the overarching story of John Lennon yeah. than sort of the things that are happening in his private life. I, I know from Malcolm Gladwell's book that they played a lot as the Quarrymen, like in bars, like shitty places, got a lot of practice. Yes. And then kicked some members out, got some new members, mm-hmm. and then like... Uh, we're good enough then to get signed, and somebody's like, you're going places. Yes. So he drops out of college, never makes it through college. Ah, that's going to hurt him. <laughs> that's, yeah. You need that college degree stay, to stay, be a worldwide stay superstar. in school, kids. Don't become the Beatles. <laughs> right. Also, people who never graduated college. Beyonce. I'm assuming Lady Gaga. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. She Michael went to, like, Jackson. NYU. Nicki Minaj, though, she was like... Yeah, super smart. She finished school, right? 
I actually don't know. I don't know either. But I know she's super smart. Yeah, I think she went to NYU, right? Sure. I trust you. Mm-hmm. Um, we can Google Hansen, actually. All three Hansen brothers have PhDs from Oxford. No way. In quantum physics. Shut up. Does that sound like bullshit to you? That sounds like bullshit it's to me. It's total bullshit. Yeah, no, absolutely <laughs> absolutely false. Not at all. <laughs> one of them was like 13. Come on. Like, oh, I real. thought you meant like as adults. No. I know one of them no, has they like do. seven children. One of, and they do have a beer company. but that's... They do. They do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so let's go back 60 years. Stay in school. That's the moral of the story is stay in school. Unless you're going to be a pop star, in which case, go for it. Yes. You won't be a pop star. No, you're not. No, you. Don't kid yourself. Please. Uh, 60 years ago, mm-hmm. as Beatlemania is taking off, Cynthia is like, ring, ring. Hey, John, I'm pregnant. Whoa, wait. They're getting famous, and she's mm-hmm. just... Oh. John does not love this. In fact, he begrudgingly marries her. And on the same day as their wedding, he leaves to go play a gig. Holy shit. Wait, so during the time they're the Beatles, he's married with a kid? He's married. And within, you know, a few months of Beatlemania, 1963, it really taking off, his son is born. That is shocking to me. I had, I had never in my mind did I picture at any point, like, during the Beatles, like, fame, that, like, any of them were married with kids. That's yeah, crazy. Yeah, that's not by accident. So absolutely by design, he and his manager decided we will tell no one. It will be bad for the brand if people think that you are partnered up and have a child. In the future, this maneuver will be called pulling a drake. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it will be called pulling a drake. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so his wife, Cynthia, has their baby while he's away. He does not see his child for the first three days of his life. This ah. child is born, Julian, named after his mother, Julia. Mm. But eerily reminiscent of how his father was out somewhere else totally when he was born. Yep. And um, so they they have this baby. He pretends they don't exist, except in his personal life, where he comes home absolutely unapologetically resentful of both of them constantly cannot stand the fact that this woman that he had been with for years had his child and he no longer gets to live this like a bachelor traveling the world doing what he wants life even though this is clearly his fault too though he it's not going to stop him from just like resenting the hell out of them no and it doesn't stop him from traveling the world and just fucking whoever he wants anyway He just lives his life independent of the fact that he has a wife and child at home. At this point, though, um, John Lennon is full of resentment. Every time he goes home, he is physically and emotionally abusive of both his wife and his child. Wait, physically and emotionally? Yes. Of this time, he would say, I used to be cruel to my women. Physically. Any woman. I was a hitter. I couldn't express myself and I hit. I fought men and I hit my women. What a shithead. Absolute shithead. In addition to abusing his wife, his quote-unquote woman, he was, um, it's well documented, he admitted to this. His son, Julian, speaks to this now. He was physically and emotionally abusive of Julian. Things, he would, like, smack his son for things as simple as 
you know, as a toddler, not having good table manners. Oh, Jesus. And later in his life, when Julian was like a preteen, at one point, apparently Julian laughed and uh, John turned to him and said, I fucking hate the way you laugh. So oh, that's Julian, like, dark. never got to laugh around his father again. Right? Oh, my God. Uh, wow, this guy seems like an asshole. Yeah. Um, and Julian and his mother at this time reflect and would later say that he was alternately absent, indifferent, drug addled, and generally unpleasant, uh, as well as uh, volatile and abusive. Until he left them for Yoko Ono. Oh, man. Wait, so this whole time they are married and together through the fame of the Beatles, mm-hmm. through all of the success, mm-hmm. and then not until the end when he meets Yoko. Wow. So at this point, it's 1967. His okay. son is four. And just chronologically, we've gone through, like, not just the height of Beatlemania, but basically all of their public records. Like, they're only famous for, like, five or six years. Right, yes. So, like, so through this entire time, he's got this family who he's treating like shit in the background. Yes. Like, all of the artistic contributions you want to talk about, great. Like, but just as a person, he's, like, being a real shit dad and mm-hmm. then, and, like, living his rock star life. Absolutely. Yes. So the Beatles, Beatlemania starts in 63. The Beatles break up by 70. Mm-hmm. So to position us now, we're in 67. Oh, so, okay. So we're a few years out from that. Yes. He and his wife, Cynthia, were pretty estranged. Uh, she goes to visit her family with the son and comes home one weekend. And they find Yoko Ono in a bathrobe drinking tea in her kitchen. When they come home. When they come home. John walks in, sees Cynthia, and apparently simply says, oh, hi. Well, yeah. So this was not the only affair John had had, but it was very clearly one that was now intruding upon their lives. Yeah, didn't hesitate to like bring her home and have her hanging out in the house when you come back with the kid. That's yes. a that's a dick move right there. So the the dick move comes next when Cynthia packs up Julian, goes to her friend's house, after walking in on John and Yoko in their home, and in this very just distraught state, ends up uh, having or sleeping with one of her friends. When Cynthia then goes to divorce him. Uh-huh. John says, oh, well, you're an adulterer, and I have proof. Our uh, joint acquaintance says you slept with him on this date when you went to his house and took Julian, and so now I want Julian, and I don't want to pay you any money. Oh, whoa, wait. So this one time, right mm-hmm. after she walks in on them, she goes and, like, sleeps with this guy. Then after that, he's like, that's the reason why I get the kid, yes. which is, one, seems insane to me. And then, two, I'm not going to pay you any, like, alimony or any other, like, child support or whatever. That's that's crazy. Right. Given that's how crazy. little he actually cares about his child, Ugh. it's just fucking petty. Uh, she <laughs> at least has the... Uh, sort of like strength to say like actually I'm the one in this relationship that has all the receipts here are all of the ways that you have dicked us over 
And John eventually concedes, gives her some money, and they divorce. Okay, so just the fact that he, like, was going to try this bullshit with being like, oh, yeah, I'm the victim here. Yeah, I'm going to get full custody of the kid because you're the one who's been, like, fucking, no, yeah, yeah. Wow. Just, like, insult to injury. Yes. So by the time their divorce is finalized, Yoko Ono is pregnant with John's first child. Well, their first child together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, unfortunately, ends up miscarrying that child, but her relationship with John persists. This sort of marks the time in the mythos of John Lennon where his political activism takes off. Okay. Is this, have the Beatles officially broken up at this point? It's about 68 at this point. So it's like getting there. or like, Getting there. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, historians would note that this is the beginning of his lengthy, although many, many, many of them note vapid and empty political activism. Interesting. Where he and Yoko stage these things that they call bed-ins, where they would like just not leave bed except for bio needs and in protest of the Vietnam War. But they're not leaving beds in their, like, penthouse or their, like, bougie hotel room. They're not depriving themselves of anything. They're making music. They're recording albums. This is just a huge PR stunt. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, civil rights era sit-ins, people would go sit at the lunch counters and refuse to leave until they were served, get dogs sit on them, get, like, clubs and, you know... Uh, dragged out, arrested, but he was willing to stay in bed all day. And smoke a whole bunch of fucking weed with his new bride. You ain't special, right? I mean, right? (laughs) That's just called a honeymoon in 2020. You don't need to put it on the news, buddy. That's not a protest of any sort of war. That is just, like, almost an embarrassing display of privilege. Man. Yeah, uh, just to imagine, like, all the kids who are just, like, fucking drafted up and then... You think they give a shit that you're laying in bed with Yoko Ono making an entire album, drinking tea, and, like, having people take your picture? So just imagine, like, all the, like, 17-year-olds who were, like, drafted up and sent to, like, go fight this crazy war that they had nothing to do with. Yes, and at the but same time, it's John cool Lennon... that he wrote an anthem. Yeah. There you go. Sit in the bed. Yes. Yes. So this idea that he is this activist, like peace seeking, you know, pioneer is just it's just a lie. Like it is this um, exaggeration of any contribution he made to real progress toward peace during that time. But it is such a nice story. It sold so well. So he and Yoko are chilling in bed. Eventually they decide, uh, well, or maybe John is contractually obligated to go back and finish recording Abbey Road with the Beatles. Okay, yeah. It's the final album. And uh, everybody knows that his relationship with Yoko was very intense. And most people know that their relationship was cited as the reason the Beatles broke up. I mean, yeah. And there's two people in that relationship. Sure. Yeah, not just cited. Like, explicitly, I think most people 
blame Yoko. Yes. Bring like being like being the Yoko is like a is like a way to say like the person who screws it up. Right. So most people blame Yoko for being the reason, right? Yes. What most people do not understand is that the reason Yoko was always there with the Beatles, every place they went, the recording studio, on tour, their shows, is because uh, John was obsessive. He essentially forced her to be every single place that he was. In fact, he moved a mattress into the recording studio so that she could sleep while they recorded. Wait, wait, not for him, not for, so he could sit, like, so she could be there. Yes. Just, so, like, he, so she wouldn't be out of eyesight. Yes. Oh, ooh, that is, ooh, that's creepy. Right. Like so, controlling creep. Oh, my God. Yes, and she is a brilliant, independent feminist artist in her own right. So this is very difficult for her. But she does it. She does it. There's a lot of tension. It, it actually results in them separating for a brief period of time. Uh, at this point, it's 1970. The Beatles have disbanded. Uh, she and John have been together about three years. Uh, she ha- Yoko has unfortunately had a number of miscarriages in this time. It has created a lot of tension. She and John are growing increasingly estranged. I mean, and after she, that, like, mattress bullshit, yeah, I get, yeah. I get it. <laughs> She's like, I just need some fucking air. And air she gets. So she goes to their assistant. This is sort of like the lore. Uh-huh. She goes to their assistant, May, and she says to May, John has mentioned to me he finds you very attractive. I trust you. Would you be his companion for all intents and purposes for the foreseeable future? Wait, so she's just like... She pawns him off on the assistant. Yeah, she's like, I need a break. And so John and May engage in this consensual non-monogamy slash he's separated from Yoko uh, 18-month relationship. Wow, she's just like, here, you take him for a while. I need, yes. a, I need a fucking break. Yes, and May is Can a- you imagine like how hard you have to live with to be like... Uh, I'm not concerned about you, like, fucking the secretary. I'm like, please, dear God, secretary, go fuck him so you leave me alone. (laughs) Yes. And so May is considered a generally positive force in John's life. She encourages him to get back in touch with his son, Julian. Oh, wow. Um, She helps him as he's, like, producing some of his own music and art. So she she, and she she just becomes a... Why didn't they say the guy? Well... Um, mostly because he tried to strangle her to death. <laughs> well, that will do it. That's, that is, that's uh, historically, uh, tension in a lot of relationships when you try to kill the other person. Yeah. He has to be pried off of her. Oh, fuck. They go back to New York City. So they had been in California. They go back to New York City. John goes back to Yoko. And at this point, John responds to May like, hey, the separation's over. Yoko and I are back together, but she's totally cool if you want to be my mistress. And May is like, seriously, go fuck yourself. You just tried to fucking you kill me. Kill me. <laughs> no, I'm not going to be your mistress. What the fuck? So, <laughs> it's a lot going on, right? Um, a few years have passed, just for some context. A mm-hmm. uh, few more years passed. John's like creating art and his own music. At this point, it's 1975. And it's all post-Beatles. We're like five years out of that. Yes. He's back with Yoko Ono. 
they reconcile. He is like, please have my child. I want to have a child with you, Yoko. I want to be a family. And she says, cool, if you'll be a house husband. Like, I will have a child with you, but you're going to stay home. You're going to take care of this child. You're going to be all in. You're going to prove you're dedicated to this. Like, I am not going to be the person you boss around and tell what to do with a child that we create together. That's a bold-ass move right there. Yes. He does it. His child is born October 9th, 1975. If you'll think back to our uh, astrology segment. You sure will. October 9th, that is his birthday? His son, Sean Lennon, is born on his 35th birthday. Okay, wait, Sean, not... Yes, so it's going to get confusing with little Sean John, but well, not the Diddy clothing line. I was going to say, Sean Lennon, fun trivia John fact, Lennon. that is where Diddy got the name. Really? No, I've, that's total bullshit. Oh. I just made that up, but it <laughs> sounds plausible. <laughs> sounds plausible, unlikely, plausible. Yeah. So Sean Lennon is born on John Lennon's 35th birthday. He picks, really, he picks the name Sean. Like just, most people, just normal people go with Junior, if, right? Like. I don't know that we would ever classify John Lennon as a normal person. Fair enough. Point taken. He is all in on raising this kid. By That's, all accounts. That is shocking to me, frankly. Yes. By all accounts, he has a rigorous schedule in which he wakes up every single day at 6 a.m. to prepare the day's meals. He makes bread. He plans outings. He and Sean go on a months-long, like, boat ride around, like, the English Channel. There's just, he is all in. Uh, everything he never had as a, as a kid from his dad. There. Everything he never had as a kid and everything that he wanted for himself, he gives to this child. He creates the super John version of himself. Just if he could reincarnate himself and give him all the things he ever wanted, he does for this child. So that definitely probably doesn't fuck up Sean in the future, but that's a totally different episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, so fun story. I once uh, in New Orleans saw the Ghost of a Sabertooth Tiger, which is uh, Sean Lennon's band uh, with his model girlfriend and some other mm. people. Yeah, I forget. Uh, I don't remember her name. Uh, but yeah, he he looks exactly like his fucking dad there's no way that's by accident i mean oh yeah because not not just like facially like he wears the same clothes wears the same glasses like he like he plays that shit up yes Yes. absolutely sounds sounds like it like has the mannerisms like play yeah anyway but yes um didn't know they had the same birthday that's kind of crazy it is uh something that his firstborn son julian would later reflect as being really Difficult to deal with. Oh, gee, that's right. There's the whole kid. He's like, shut on the that whole time. Absolutely. Oh, couldn't even stand like, his laugh. Oh, yeah. The kid he was just like a gigantic dick to for years. Yeah. Oh. So there's an interview. It's really painful to read about. But there's an interview where John is asked about the difference between his children. And he notes that although... Julian is of him. He is part of him. This is like his son. He created him. That Sean was conceived 
as a wanted child. Oh, shit. Yeah. And Sean is him. Not just like you're the accident. Like, the other kid is wanted. Wanted. Oh. Ooh. Ouch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Hang in there, Julian. Hang in there, Julian. He he spends these five years all in with Sean. At this point, it's 1980. Uh. 1980 is a big year for John. The biggest of all of them, in fact. Uh, three things happen at this point. So he... His band, his bandmate George Harrison publishes this autobiography slash memoir in which he essentially just leaves John out of it. Wait, leaves him out of it? Yeah. Like, he's like a side note. Like, oh, yeah. And then I was in this band with John Lennon. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's okay. Yeah. That's a statement about how you thought of him during the time of the band. Yes. Uh, having the personality that John does, he publicly and repeatedly fumes about this. And he says, George remembers every nobody sax player he was ever with, and he barely mentions me. How could he leave me out of this? I created him. I invited him into the Beatles. I am the Beatles. (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like he didn't take it well. Did not take it well. The next thing that happens is that in December of 1980, so December, I can tell you specifically December 6th of 1980, this wide-ranging but pretty provocative article comes out in Playboy about John Lennon. Uh, he's been interviewed for it. This is where he makes the comments about his son. He says a whole bunch of, like, really challenging things, uh, but essentially makes himself out to be the hero in every single tumultuous situation that's brought up. Now, somehow I, I don't find that surprising. Right. So George Harrison's book comes out. He's mad he's left out. He overcompensates for it by, like, talking about how amazing he is in this Playboy article. Two days later, while leaving a recording session with Yoko Ono, he steps out of the limousine, walking into his apartment. He's shot four times in the back. Earlier in the night, he'd, like, uh, John had actually signed an autograph for him on his most recent musical release. So he's, like, a crazy fan? Obsessed fan. Um, pleads guilty to shooting him. Second degree murder ends up in jail, like, till he dies. Um, so John Lennon dies. The world mourns. Uh, there's no funeral, and Yoko makes a public statement. There will be no funeral. Just uh, go be peaceful. That's what John would want. In an article written about a biography that came up came out about him uh, in the early 2000s, writer Sean O'Hagan of The Guardian wrote, John Lennon was an emotionally tortured individual, often consumed by rage, unprocessed grief, and a lifelong fear of abandonment. It should come as no surprise to anyone who has paid close attention to his often brutally honest and occasionally self-lacerating songs. But what emerges most strongly from this epic trawl through Lennon's life is just how emotionally tortured he was for most of it and how his own demise was foreshadowed by the deaths of those closest to him. Uh, in a Washington Post article about a document, the documentary Imagine, 
Writer Hal Hinson noted, Lenin was poet laureate for a generation of narcissists, and he helped rock mature into a forum for personal exploration and reflection. And Lenin thought quite naturally of himself as someone with whom the whole world was infatuated and who, as a result, became a pontificating, radical, chic bore. Yeah, for all of the contributions to pop music and the great songs that have, like, stood the test of time, uh, turns out John Lennon was also just, like, an incredibly emotionally stunted, abusive asshole of a boomer. <laughs> and uh, Oh, yeah. He is a boomer. Yeah. Definitely a boomer. Oof. Like that when they talk about narcissistic generation, that yeah. is definitely a boomer. Would be a boomer now. Had no processing skills for his trauma, projected it all into other people, stunted those around him. If he stuck around long enough, potentially would have found ways to build his trauma into the systems of mm. oppression in society like the rest of the boomers did. Mm. Either way, for all of his contributions, I would say definitely not my hero. Yeah, here's the thing. All of his contributions are fantastic. And I think about this every time we do an artist. All of their contributions for their art, their craft, fantastic. But I am wholly, entirely convinced if it had not been them, it would have been someone else. It's a big world. And I'm sure a lot of people who didn't beat their wives could have made similar contributions. Quite a hero. Quite a hero. Where can uh, people find more Quite Heroes? Yeah, if you are listening to this podcast, uh, j pick up your phone and look at it, and then it's where you can find other ones. Yes, if they found the podcast, they have found the other heroes. Yeah, just like and review. Subscribe if you're just trying us out. You want to know when the next one comes out. Let's be clear. You definitely. Uh, Wednesdays, sometimes at 6 a.m., sometimes at 6 p.m., but... Mostly sometimes it, always on Wednesday. Sometimes at eleven fifty nine p.m. Mm -hmm. That's true. In another time, time zone. zone. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you never know. That's the thing. We keep you on your toes. We give you what you want, and that's why it's worth it. Rate, review, share at your heroes pod on social media. Your heroes pod at gmail.com If you have notes you want to send. Yeah, and if you can uh, just get one of your friends phones and subscribe them to the podcast even if they don't know they'll they'll be pleasantly surprised they will I feel thank like you that later. technically does not violate spam laws i'm not gonna offer any legal advice here what i'm gonna say is subscribe without them knowing steal your friend's identity they'll thank go you. all the way use your social security <laughs> number get a new phone subscribe <laughs> i like this i see no flaws in this plan bulletproof all right well uh thanks for listening and until next time just let it be don't be a hero let it be a hero wait don't let it don't be a hero <laughs> yes bye <laughs>